Well, good morning. So glad that you are here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We'll get there in just a moment. Ask you a question this morning. Where were you in 1972? 1972. How many of you were not around in 1972? That's, that's a good bit of us in here, okay? So you won't remember any of these things. So let me share a few facts about 1972. Gas was 36 cents a gallon, right? Wish that were true today. A movie ticket average cost a dollar and 70 cents, dollar and 70 cents. Burt Jones was the quarterback at LSU. Might need him this year. So the top movie was The Godfather. And last but definitely not least, Doritos introduced their nacho cheese flavored Doritos. Okay. And we're all grateful for that. 1972, Calvary was just 51 years old. Their pastor was Reverend John Alley. And around that time in 1972, something came on the scene and Calvary became a part of Calvary culture, something we call the We Care card. Perhaps some of you have been around Calvary for a while, have seen a We Care card. Now, this is just a little postcard size, uh, has a little address blank on the front, on the back, has a, a scripture verse, has a place for you to write a, an encouraging note, a note of care and concern and prayer to someone else. And so if you've never seen one of these, these are an incredible way that you can take and, and just send a note of encouragement to someone. The church will mail it out for you. But it's a, it created in that time, beginning in 1972, a, a culture of care and concern here at Calvary that has continued to this day. And if we as a people ever needed care and concern, it is now. We live in a day and age that we're hyper aware of division and tension, whether it be in our own national politics and government, whether it be in international affairs and crises and wars. Uh, the economy is up and down. Read an article just this past week on Fortune.com. It just released a Harris poll back in, in July. I think it was July 14th, somewhere in there. Just released a poll. They polled 1,000 college students across the United States. And it was a mental health survey. And they discovered that over 60% of current college students have been diagnosed with a mental health condition, with anxiety and depression being at the top of the list. That article also indicated, though it, weren't, it wasn't nearly as high, but 48% of adults in America have been diagnosed with a mental health condition. So first, we could see that there's an issue. I say thank God that people are being diagnosed. Hopefully, they are being helped. I, I'm grateful that mental health is being brought to the forefront so we can deal with that and process that so it won't be as debilitating as it could be that people can rally around. But what it also shows me is that we aren't always prepared to live life or face life alone by ourselves on our own, that we need each other. We need each other because God, he created us to live in community. 
He did not create us to to go Lone Ranger. He didn't create us just to be alone in life, but he gave us community. Think back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Think back to the Garden of Eden. God creates that first human being we know as Adam. It says he created him from the dust of the ground. And the first thing God did after he created him, he breathed life into him. But not only did he give him life, he placed him in a garden. And in that garden, Adam had everything he ever needed. But not only did he give him everything he ever needed, what did God gave him a job. You could say God gave him a purpose in life to cultivate the garden, to name the animals, to care for God's creation. So we see Adam was created by God. He was given life by God. He was provided to by God and God gave him purpose in life. Yet in Genesis 2, 18, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. That God never intended Adam to be the only one. God never intended us to live life alone. That he provides people in our lives, family, and friends to walk through this journey together. And so in the book of Galatians, if you were to read the first five chapters, you'll see Paul is dealing with a lot of deep issues, things that were causing division and tension within that church. And Paul's trying to rally around them and trying to set them straight on on the truths they need to embrace. But he's going to come to chapter six, the few verses we're going to read and say, look, look, Hear the truths, y'all are divided, y'all need to love each other. Y'all need to come together and care and support one another. So we're going to read a few verses in Galatians chapter 6. We're going to talk through three points, and at the end I want to give you some action steps. And so let's jump into the, what I call the three factors of caring. If we're going to care for one another, like the church at Galatia was called to do, how are we going to care Three factors. The first one is what's our motivation? Our motivation. Look at verses one and two. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual or mature should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you may also be tempted. Verse two, carry or your version may say bear each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so he says, if you love each other, if you care, if you bear each other's or carry each other's burdens, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so that's our motivation is we want to carry out or fulfill that law of Christ. So what is he talking about? What is he talking about that law of Christ? That terminology is not used much in the New Testament, maybe just once, maybe twice, if you count it by Paul, this law of Christ. Well, he spent five chapters in this book of this letter to the Galatian church talking about the law of Moses, the law of Moses. You know, the law of Moses, those are the commandments, not just 10, but the 600 plus commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And those laws existed for generations as a way to live and obey God by the Jewish people. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he dies and he's resurrected and he leads this new way and and both Jew and Gentiles are coming into the church, there was a lot of disagreement about should Christians have to follow the law of Moses? Are they to obey or fulfill the law of Moses? And so the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians, they would go at each other. And that's the majority of the, the book of Galatians is Paul setting them straight on that issue. And so when he's coming to the end, 
He's going to flip it around. He's going to use that terminology. He says, hey, look, you need to be concerned primarily. Your motivation is not to satisfy the law of Moses. Christ did that on the cross. But you need to satisfy or fulfill or obey the law of Christ. The law of Christ. And what is that? What is that? The Apostle John writes about this law of Christ. If you were to read 1 John, it really the whole letters about what it means to fulfill or obey the law of Christ. In his gospel, John, he writes this, John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So this is toward the end of Jesus' life. He gathers up all his disciples. He's taught them. They've seen miracles. They've seen him preach and heard him preach truth. And he's gathering them up. And he's like, here's the command I want to leave you with. This is to be above all. You are to love one another. And so Paul captures that, understands that he, he terms it the law of Christ. That above all things that we are to do, we are to love one another. So that's our motivation. Our motivation for loving and caring and supporting one another, for carrying each other's burdens, is that we want to love. We want to love just as Christ has loved us. So that's our motivation. That's the first factor of caring. The second factor I want us to see is that it's a process. Caring for people is a process. Skip on down to verse 7. He says this, He says this, Paul says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And so he uses this metaphor of sowing seeds, a metaphor they would understand. Uh, you know, largely an agricultural uh, society, they understood what it meant to sow seeds. And most of us understand that analogy as well, that if you sow seeds that will eventually result in some kind of harvest, that takes time, doesn't it? It's a process. If you put the seed in the ground, it has to take time then to germinate. And then not only germinate, then sprout, then grow into a plant. But you're not finished there. You have to tend, tend to that. You have to cultivate that. You have to nourish that water, fertilize. Eventually, then it will yield the vegetable or the fruit that you desire. That it's a process. That sowing seeds is a process that we understand. And so Paul takes that, that metaphor, that analogy, that that's sowing seeds, and he applies it to us caring for or loving other people. Do you catch what he's saying? Hey, he's saying if, if you sow seeds of the flesh, in other words, of the sinful nature, so if you treat people poorly, if you disobey God, if you don't fulfill the law of Christ, you're going to reap those consequences of your hatred and division. There's going to be discord and envy and strife in the world around you, but If you sow seeds of goodness, as he says, according to the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, as he says in in chapter 5, if you live life and fulfill the law of Christ, sowing seeds, then you'll reap eternal life. That's not just a time thing. It's not just quantity of life, but it's a quality of life. It's that abundant life Jesus talked about, that, that your life and relationships will have joy and peace and purpose and hope. But it's a process that, that loving people, caring for people is a process. And then finally, he tells us not only is it our motivation is to fulfill the law of Christ, 
And sowing seeds, it's going to take time. We ha- it takes time to, to love people and to care, and we have to stay after it. But then finally, there's a promise. Look at verse 9. He says this, Let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we keep at it, if we don't give up, we stay strong. He says, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. That's the promise. That if we stay after it, there will be a harvest. But you know and I know that my timing, your timing, is not always God's timing, is it? A lot of times we want to plant the seed. We want to see the fruit instantly. Uh, We sow a seed of goodness towards someone. We want to see a difference. Uh, We do anything. we, We want to see a lot of times immediate results. But Paul is reminding us at the proper time in God's timing that our part is to sow the seed, to cultivate, to sow the seed. And in God's timing, he will take our efforts and use them to produce a harvest, to produce a harvest in the proper time. And then he goes on, verse 10. He says, therefore. So he's wrapping up this little section, this little passage. He's saying, therefore, he said, in other words, you know the motivation. I've told you, it's the law of Christ, man. Love one another. It's going to be a process. It's like sowing seeds, he says. You know, it, it takes time, but, but you're to love people. Keep sowing those seeds of love and care and concern. And finally, if you keep doing them, there's a promise that, that eventually God's going to bring forth a harvest for you to stay after it. Therefore, knowing all of that, as we have opportunity Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Your version may say to the household of believers. That there's this emphasis throughout the New Testament of loving everyone, but specifically loving those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. That many times we are referred to as family. That we have a bond, a connection in Christ that supersedes any bond, any connection. I love traveling on mission trips and going places and meeting believers, whether it's in another state or in another country. And though you may have a different culture, you you may have different ways to worship, that you may speak different languages, that you instantly have that bond because you're a follower of Jesus. That instant connection. And those of you who have been there, you know what I'm talking about. That we are family. We are family in Christ. Look, when we read about the early church, when we read about the early church, we don't get this picture that they just showed up for worship. They sat in a seat. They sang some songs. They heard a message. Then they just went home and never talked to one another. No, you you get a picture of of a people who come together, yes, for worship. But you get a a picture of people that throughout the week, they're they're coming together and they're breaking bread in others' homes. They're they're praying with one another. They're encouraging with one another. They're they're doing life with one another. That we are a family. That yes, we as the capital C church, we're a family of God. But even us here at Calvary, we are a family. That we're to live as family. We may not agree with each other on every little facet. Surely we won't. But at the end of the day, we love each other. And we care for each other because we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one body. One body, many parts, but one body, one spirit, one purpose. Jesus said this, John 13, 35, the backside of the, that verse we read earlier, 13, 35, he says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one 
another. In other words, the, the identifying mark, the distinguishing mark of believer is not that you come to church, though that's important. The distinguishing mark of a disciple of Jesus is not that you read the Bible and pray, though that's important. The distinguishing mark of a Christian is not not that you give of your tithes and offerings, though that is important. Jesus said himself, the world will know that you're my disciples. The world will see that you're a follower of Jesus if you do what? If you love the people of God, if you love one another. If you love one another. I mean, think about it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're someone who understands that that you sinned against God, that God gave you a beautiful life, that he gave you expectations and commands. And somewhere along the way, many times you broke those commands. You, You disappointed God. You rebelled against God. And because of that sin, you were separated from God. As a follower of Jesus, you understand what that separation was. That you, you were destined to live separated from God in a literal place called hell. But God loved you enough. And that God loves you enough. He sent his only son, Jesus, to leave the comforts of heaven, to come to this earth, to be a man of sorrow, to live a perfect sinless life, then to die on a cross. Jesus said, hey, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus willingly gives up his life because of my sin and your sin, pays the price. It's put in a grave. Three days later, he comes back. He lives because he lives. We can face tomorrow. He lives to give us forgiveness. He lives to, lives to give us freedom. He lives to give us eternal life. And if you have experienced that, that you believe in Jesus Christ, you've experienced the love and the grace, then that ought to overflow into your life. It should overflow into the lives around you. Are we going to be perfect? No. But Jesus is saying, they're going to know that you've received my love if you love one another. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I want want to give you two action steps today. Two action steps. How can we care for one another? How do we really love one another? We want to fulfill the law of Christ. We know it's going to be a process. We, We understand there's a promise. Then how do we love one another. The first one is this, is to lift weights. Lift weights. First two says carry each other's burdens. If you want to write carry burdens, that's fine, but lift weights. Hopefully it'll make sense. So carrying something involves lifting, right? It involves effort and work on your part. It reminds me when I was in high school, I was on the football team and as Part of our off-season training, we lifted weights. We did squats and uh, we did bench press and all these different kind of uh, different um, lifts. And so also as a part of the football team, we, we had the joy and pleasure of being the grunt kind of workers for the Ash Powerlifting Invitational. Back then, I know Ash had an incredible powerlifting team, and so they would host this large powerlifting meet, and so all the football players would be the guys who would, who would rack the weights, and, and they would also be spotters at different lifts. And so this was around 1992 or three, around that time. I couldn't remember the exact year. Uh, I was working that Ash Powerlifting meet, and I got put on, on the, the squatting rack. Okay, so I had to be a spotter, had to lift the weights, rack the weights for the squatting rack. And I remember that day there was a guy from Winfield named Gabe Walker, and he was attempting the the state record at the time for his division. And it was around 600 pounds he was about to squat. And I had the privilege of trying to spot him from behind. Okay, (laughs) so mind you, he has we've racked the weights. He's got 600 pounds on his back. And he's about to try to squat down and go up. And I have to go behind him. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do if Gabe drops this weight? I mean, I'm just going to have to bounce back. I'll just take the heat for whatever I didn't do. 
Fortunately, Gabe goes down. He, he gets down to where he needs to. They tell him to go up. He goes up. Man, he breaks the state record. We rack it. And I was like, whoo, man, <laughs> thankful for that. But you know, in, in weightlifting and training, how incredibly important a spotter is. Because as you're trying to max out, you're trying to lift heavy weights, you need someone to help you at times. You're just not able to bear that burden. Think about bench press. You know, if you're trying a heavy weight and you can't get it up from your chest, if no one's there to help you, suddenly you're not going to be able to breathe. As we think about people's burdens, the weight they are carrying in their life, as I look around this room, I know every face represents a journey. Every face represents a story in life. And many of you come into this place carrying a weight, maybe on your shoulders. Something in life, whether it's anxiety, whether it's hurt, grief, as he talked about in this passage, maybe it's sin. And you're carrying that burden. And you need someone just to come in and help you lift that weight. Just maybe for a moment so you can breathe, so you can start to function Maybe in just a moment of clarity, you can even pray for the first time in a long time. In church family, people need you. That there are people in your life right now who have that acute pain, that urgent pain and desperation, and they need us. You know, Paul says, as we have opportunity, as we think about who are those people in our lives, who has God put before us that we would come alongside them That in those moments, even though we may feel inadequate, there are many times when people are going through difficult situations, I feel inadequate to help them. I'm not even sure what to do. And so a lot of times that keeps us from doing anything. But I would say start somewhere. How can you do that? How can you help just lift the weight off of someone's shoulders, even for a season, just to help them regain their breath and their strength? Man, just be a listening ear. Can you listen? Can you just listen, say, hey, how's it going? And just allow them to talk. Some people just need someone to share things with. Maybe in that moment, you've, you've experienced similar things and you're able to share your struggles. Hey, I've struggled with that as well. And you tell them how God's been faithful. You know, possibly they have some physical needs. You know, maybe they're going through an illness or something where just something as simple as cutting the grass would be extremely helpful. Going on a grocery run for them. Maybe it's a financial need and you can step in and meet that financial need. There are many different ways we can just bear each other's burdens. I want to refer you back to this We Care card. This We Care card, that it's it's amazing. I know some of you in this room have received these through the years. And I guarantee there are people in this room who still have cards that you have written to them. They still have them in a basket, in a drawer, because it meant that much to them. Man, here at the church, you can just write a little letter, write their name, a few sentences of encouragement, write their first name, place it in the We Care box or at the Welcome Center, and we as a church will address it for you. We'll put the stamp on it for you. We'll mail it out for you. And this is a way, just a simple way that you can help just lift weights. You can carry someone's burden for them. So let's lift weights. And last but not least, the second way I think action we can care for people is we can sow seeds. We can continually sow seeds. So this is a consistent process over time. And he says in there that we're not to become weary. Listen, I understand when it comes to loving people, 
when it comes to caring for people that may not appreciate it, they may not even welcome it, you may not see any results, you may not think you're making a difference, it's easy to become weary. It's easy just to give up and say, well, you know, I tried. But we need to be, keep at it. We need to keep sowing those seeds because at the proper time, there will be a harvest. Your efforts, catch this, will not be wasted. They won't be wasted. That note, that, that conversation, the way you help them, it will not be wasted. God will use it. So be consistent, be persistent, continue to sow those seeds. I think about parents in this room. We, that's with our children. We continue to love and care for them in the way that God has shown us. We continue to do that. Is it making a difference? I believe it is. Eventually, kids are going to make their own choices, and I get that. But God has called us to keep pouring in them. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe in your marriage, you've had some struggles, and, but God's called you to keep loving, to keep praying, to keep encouraging, to stay after it, that God in its proper time will bring about a harvest, bring about good. Where do you need to keep sowing those seeds? We need to care for each other. So today I want to end with a response time, and Jeremy's going to come out and lead in a song. As I said a minute ago, I know many of you come in here today carrying a heavy burden. And I believe it is the culture of this church to care for one another. That is going to be the mark to to a watching world, a watching community. If we're followers of Jesus, they're looking to see if we love each other. And I believe we do. So today I want to give you an opportunity, man, to maybe help someone today. That in the lobby today, there are going to be cards out there. We care cards that I encourage you on your way out. Just jot a a quick note to someone you know that God's laid on your heart, put in front of you. Just put it in the basket out there. Go on about your day. Put their first name. We'll mail it to them. We'll get their address and send it away that later this week, they'll get that and God will use it. But today I want to open up the front for a time of prayer as well. We'll have ministers here. So maybe you're carrying a burden and you need prayer. Maybe you're sitting next to a family member or a friend and and you just want to grab them and come down to the steps and and pray for something that you're trying to carry on your own. I I encourage you to do that. Take take a step. Come out. Allow God to, to minister to you. Allow God to reward that act of faith. So we're going to have a time, moment, response, invite ministers to come forward. I ask that you would stand right now. Jeremy's going to lead us in a song. And as the Lord leads you today, would you come? Maybe today if you need Christ, you need to start a relationship with him and allow him to take on your burdens that we can lead you in that. Whatever need you may have, ministers will be here at the front. The front is open for you to pray.